Great moments are born from great opportunity. And that's what you have here tonight. You shouldn't have any doubt in your mind about what you're supposed to do tonight and about how you're supposed to do it. You have shown yourselves just exactly who you are in here. It's about heart. It's about who can go out there and play the hardest. Who can go out there and play the smartest. This is your time. The time is now. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. This is who we are. They're bigger, faster, stronger, more experienced. I'll ask you one last time. If you put your effort and concentration, we're going to be winners. You have to taste to win, want to win, and above all else, have the will to win. That's how winning is done. today. I trust you're rested with your extra hour of sleep. And I just want to say I'm really glad that somebody's here because I was a little uh, curious and anxious since we've sent a few hundred people to uh, Crossroads. And this is the day that everybody sort of wakes up and says, well, let's just go to the nine o'clock service instead of the 11 o'clock service. And uh, so I thought, man, there may be more people on the platform at 11 than there are in the congregation. So good to see you uh, here today. I didn't realize until uh, I sort of Googled it that there's a whole little subspecialty of film, uh, a genre in American cinematography that focuses on the halftime speech or the pregame motivational talk that's been given. And there's a number of these, right? Gene Hackman and Hoosiers and Kurt Russell and Miracle and uh, Matthew McConaughey and uh, We Are Marshall. I'm not sure what John Belushi was doing in that uh, little <laughs> clip there. But basically, it's, it's some coach talking to a group of people who are the underdogs. They're understood to be the ones that are not expected to win. And, and the talk is about, this is your time, okay, let's go do what we know to do. you got to go execute against the strategy. Leave it all on the field, right? You sort of know what this talk is going to be. Um, and it actually fits into the topic that we come to uh, today. Uh, because we're talking about how to get better, how to be better, how to do better. Uh, we could even say we're talking about how to win. Um, now, there's a number of theories out there about how to win, and it's worth just pausing to acknowledge that one of the reasons there's so many different theories out there about how to be better is because there's no agreement at the moment on what better is, right? What, what does it mean to get better? How is a better version of you actually better? Are you 
Are you smarter? Are you richer? Are you kinder? Are you faster? Are you thinner, uh, lower cholesterol? I mean, what's the, what's the point here? What does a better version of you look like? And, and this confusion uh, has both led to some confusion in higher education. It is also, higher education has fueled some of the confusion that we have today. Um, if you were to go to a typical state college or university, many private colleges and universities, and you were to say at a faculty meeting, um, so what exactly is the goal here? Right? What are we trying to do? Well, what, what is a graduate supposed to look like? How are they supposed to think? What are they supposed to do? What are we trying to impart here? You would have chaos. Right? Because there is no agreement on what that looks like. There's very little unity today in the university. We've lost it. It's all anything, virtually anything goes. Uh, if you were to suggest that we want to have virtuous graduates, you would have long debates about, first of all, what is virtue, and secondly, uh, whether or not that is any business of anyone else's. About all that most universities can agree on is that uh, you cannot step on anybody else's rights, uh, you can't cheat on an exam, and you shouldn't do anything that's going to garner bad press in the paper. Other than that, uh, pretty much anything goes. Now, that's perhaps a little cynical. Uh, I love higher education. I was a college pastor for eight years. We sent our boys uh, away to school. So, look, I'm not down on college. I'm simply trying to point out this obvious fact. Today, there is very little agreement on what good people look like. There's a, there's a lot of diversity out there today of opinions about how it is that we should get better. And I want to say to you, there doesn't have to be any confusion. Because, point of fact, God is on record of telling us what a better person looks like. They look like Jesus. He is the template for us. Many people are familiar with Romans 8, 28. Uh, the, the verse reads, um, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. But you, we shouldn't stop there because the verse goes on, 29, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. Okay? Part of God's plan is that you would look like Jesus, that you and I would be like God. Now, we do not become gods, but we are to become godlike, godly, holy. We are to be changed in a particular direction. We are to become more virtuous, more righteous people. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14, Paul explains a little bit more about what this looks like. And he says that we are to advance, uh, to move forward. We are to mature to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we'll no longer be children tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head of the church. Jesus Christ 
is the model. He is the template. We are supposed to become more like him. That's the plan. That is uh, what is set in front of us. Another way that we might talk about this is to say that the characteristics of God are to grow in our life. In, in Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul refers to these as the fruit of the Spirit. And he lists nine qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. So when somebody talks about you, if someone says, do you know who you know Jeff is or Amber is or Justin is or Sally is, do you know them? They should say, oh, do you mean the person who is loving and kind and gracious and joyful and peaceful? I met them. I remember them. Okay? That is what a better version of you looks like. Now, <clears throat> I have uh, for years put this little spectrum on, uh, up in front of you and uh, used it to talk about who we are and where we are. And I basically just say, look, there's this, you know, we're all spiritual beings and we have been formed or malformed, the saint and the terrorist alike, we're somewhere on this spectrum that says as far from God as we can be or fully in God's presence. Negative five to positive five. And I point out, look, we're born into negative numbers because of sin. We cross over into positive numbers on the basis of the work of Christ alone. Right? So everything that has to be done for you to be able to move out of a negative number into a positive one, darkness into light, death into life, everything that needs to be done for you to be born again, redeemed, adopted into the family of God, reconciled to God, whatever metaphor and scripture you want to hold on to, everything that needs to be done for that to happen has been done for you by Jesus. We don't add to that work at all. But, if you want to get better, if you want to move from 0.01 towards 5, now your effort is required. Okay? We can't do it on our own, but to quote Augustine, God won't do it on his own. And so we are, we are told things that we are supposed to do to become better people. And, and there are things that if we do these things, then God does other things and we grow and mature. I mean, I, I suspect that you all realize that you can't just say, I'm going to be a better person. I'm not going to get mad anymore. I'm not, right? Well, good luck with that. It doesn't tend to work. Right? We can't change our heart. Our will is too weak. But if we do certain things, then God will do certain things and we begin to grow and we are transformed. Theologically, the word is sanctified. Right? So that's the 25 cent word that we're looking at. It basically just means to grow. To get better. Now, um, how exactly do we do this? What am I talking about specifically? 
So there's a better version of you out there. You can win, whatever, however you want to frame this, right? You can, you can become more of who God wants you to be. What exactly is it that we do? Well, what we do depends a little bit on where we're at on this spectrum. But if, uh, if someone is just over the line, just come to faith in Christ, or, for that matter, if somebody hasn't moved very far, then I am certainly going to go back to what I consider the basics to be, and that's worship, connect, grow, serve, and share. Worship meaning more than just attending a worship service. But let me just, again, go on record and say, um, do not forsake the assembling together as some of you are in the habit of doing. Right? That's, that's Paul saying that. Uh, we need to show up on an ongoing basis. Uh, we, this is, this, there is to be a deep groove in your life that says, I go to church once a week. Uh, I don't have to wake up and think about it. Do I want to go today? Do I not want to go? Who's speaking? I don't know if I'm going to go or not. Uh, no, no, no. We are, there's a deep groove 2,000 years old that we are expected to, to stay in. And it says that at least once a week we come together with others for the teaching of the apostles' word, for worship, for prayer, to encourage one another to love and good deeds. And not every week is good. Let me just say it, right? Not every week is going to work. You're not going to go out going, I feel better today, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to tackle the week. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I know that over time, if you are in this groove, it will lead you the right direction. I talked with two guys this week. You know, I've been back now post-stroke for a while. And and I started to go, hey, wait a minute. Where's so-and-so? I haven't seen him. I can induce guilt just by calling someone on the phone, right? They pick it up, and I go, hi, this is Mike from Christ Church. And I hear, oh, I'm on that list. Oh, I can't believe it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We, you know, we've been, we've been traveling. We've got, uh, you know, hockey. we got whatever it is. I mean, I just, the list of excuses starts the second I say who I am. I haven't said anything else. It's just, oh, no. And... I'll just say, hey, didn't see you, haven't seen you, didn't know if you were around. I mean, maybe you're at the old one or whatever, I don't know. But, but usually they will tell me whether that's the case. And I just say, how you doing? And these two guys that I called this week who haven't been showing up, they're like, yeah, I'm not doing so well. I go, well, guess what? I sort of knew that, right? Because you're not showing up. So it's not rocket science, right? This isn't complicated, you just, you have to get back in that groove, right? It's part of what works. So, number one, worship. Number two, connect. Uh, use this term to say there needs to be people in your life who love God and love you with whom you are doing life. We've created small groups to be a conduit to that. The goal is not small groups, but We've got to be intentional about taking steps so that we've got those kind of relationships in our life. And, uh, and, and so we push you in that direction. Uh, number three, grow. 
So let me just, again, be, be crystal clear. Your spiritual condition is ultimately your responsibility. Right? The, the leadership here, pastors, elders, staff, we'll do what we can to try and create an environment where it's easy for you to grow. But at the end of the day, you are responsible for where you are at. Now, there is a current that we try to create that pulls people along. And we can pull you, I think, towards one and a half, maybe even two. Uh, but we can't get you any, any further than that. I don't know if you read John Krakauer's book, Into Thin Air. It was about this ill-fated uh, expedition trying to summit Everest. And in the, the book, Krakauer notes that among guides who are doing, you know, Everest, it's, it's, it's just an accepted rule that you can't help anybody above, I think it's 28,000 feet. You just can't help them. You don't have the ability. You don't have the strength. There's too little air. So you're on your own at that point. The guides can show you where to go, but they can't pull you along. And there's a sense in which we can pull you. We can create a current. We can do everything we can tell you what to do and try and get you to sign up and to show up. But at some point, you have to do some of this on your own. And there are spiritual habits, practices, disciplines that, that will move you in that direction. Again, we know what works, right? We're not trying to guess at this. We're 2,000 years into this experiment. And God has told us what to do, and we have the path that has been led by people who have been diligently trying to seek after God. And we know that one of the, two of the non-negotiables is Bible reading and prayer. So we say 10 plus 10. If you're not spending at least 10 minutes a day reading the Bible and 10 minutes a day in prayer, start there. 10 plus 10. Now, that act alone... That alone will transform you. If you do that over time, if you do that for the next couple of years, you will be a different person, substantially different person. It is a transformative and revolutionary practice. As you read God's Word, God's Word reads you, you will be shaped in the ways that God wants you shaped. Worship, connect, grow. The fourth is to serve. Use your gifts to help Others, use your abilities, use your time, your talent, right? We were created, Ephesians 2.10, we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You were made to do good works for others, okay? That is part of your purpose in life is to serve others. And that means both sort of casually, constantly, to have the attitude of a servant. doesn't matter what it is. If people need help, I'll do it. But it also means that you are going to be a student of your own gifts, abilities, passions, and talents, and you're going to try to find the intersection of the world's needs and your passions. And you're going you're to lean into that. So a couple months ago, some, uh, some men got together and they started a new ministry called the CARS Ministry. It's like Christ Church Auto Resources Services something, I don't know. But basically what they said is, hey, I, I like to work on cars. 
And so there's now a ministry set up to do two things. One, for single moms, there's a place, bring your car, and they will try and keep that car running. Right? Do free mechanical work to keep that car running. And secondly, it's for people who have cars that they don't want to donate that. They get a tax receipt. Then they fix up the car and then give it to somebody in need. So Sherry and I, done with our van a couple months ago, we donated it to the cars ministry, and they fixed it up and have handed it out uh, to others. So uh, that's a great example of trying to find that intersection of the world's needs and our interests and passions, because these guys go, I just like to work on cars. Is there a way I could work on cars that would actually help people and be an act of service and worship to God? Yeah, so they set that up. And then finally, uh, the basics we're talking about, uh, share. Share your life, share your faith, share your resources, give, 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 right? Be generous. God is generous. So if you want to grow, you got to be generous. This is just part of the whole pattern. Uh, break the stranglehold of money that it has over so many. We need to share our life. Now, I keep coming back to these five things, repeating them over and over, in part because although we're all different, right, and the ways that you're going to grow and the ways you're going to connect with God are going to be different than the ways I might grow and connect with God, different than somebody else, there's, there's a little bit of, of uh, latitude in all this. It's not a free-form exercise. We don't just get to make everything up. There are some very specific things that we get called to, right, baptism, uh, taking communion, as we'll do in a little bit, Bible study, serving, prayer, right? These have to be part of the path because we don't get where we want to get unless we follow. It's, it's going to be different a little bit for everybody, but there are things that need to be in place. The second reason I keep, uh, the second reason I keep coming back to these five is because we never really graduate from them. Uh, 18 months ago or so, before we started our conversations uh, with Crossroads, we were looking for a third site. Uh, and Garth was on this, and he called one day, and he says, hey, I don't think this site is going to work because it doesn't have much parking, but the Bulls practice facility is coming on the market. And the realtor is going to show it to me this afternoon at 2 o'clock. You want to be there and go through the Bulls training facility. And I said, yeah, that actually sounds like fun. So um, I met them there, and uh, it, was, it was shocking in the one hand to be in the Bulls' practice facility. Now, there, was, there were a couple differences. Things were nicer, right, and shinier. And there was this pile of shoes next to Joachim Noah's locker, the biggest shoes you've ever seen. There's probably like 75 pair on this big mound. Obviously, he wears them twice and then throws them in the throws them in this pile. So there was a couple things that were different, but for the most part, I looked at this and I thought, you know what? They, uh, they, they shoot free throws, <laughs> right? They, they, they do layups, uh, they diagram some plays, they scrimmage, right? I mean, they dribble, they pass. That's what they practice. And my wife coaches eighth grade girls basketball. I've been to her practices. That's what they do, right? 
They, they shoot free throws. They, they do layups, right? They practice dribbles and passes and run and plays. It's the same. I went to a Bulls, or excuse me, I went to a Bears practice a couple years ago when, when Lovey Smith was still the coach. And uh, I don't know what I expected. Now, obviously, everybody's bigger and faster and stronger. But it was like, okay, this is sort of like being back in, uh, in football when I was in junior high, right? You, you, you get out, you put on most of your pads in the locker room, you sort of go out with your shoulder pads, and you put those on last, and then, you know, you stretch, you start stretching, and you jog a little bit, and then there's sort of some team calisthenics that you do. And then, uh, then you go to your blind coach, your position coach, and you do drills for a while. And then you get together, and the first-team offense works out with the second-team defense, and then you switch it. You know, it's just like I'm watching this going, wow, I actually could have told you how this practice was going to unfold because I, I was at a practice 30 years ago when I was 12, and they're still working on the basics. We never graduate from the basics. We don't get past, you know, worship. We don't get past connecting with others. We don't get past reading our Bible and praying. We don't get past serving. We don't get past sharing our faith and giving money. We don't get past those things. We need to do them in order to grow. Now, today, I've I've shared the Worship Connect, Grow, Serve thing many times. Today, slightly new wrinkle and insight, and that is I want to share with you the the things that God uses for us to grow. Okay, so I've been talking about what are the things that you do so that if you do them, God will do what he's going to do and our hearts begin to change. Now I want to talk about the things that God uses to change us. There are four. Number one, the Holy Spirit. When you come to faith... When you step over the line, when you move from darkness to light, would repent of your sins, put your faith in Christ, at that moment, it may seem like a long process, but there is a moment when that great exchange happens. We give Christ our sin, he gives us his righteousness. We are sealed in the Holy Spirit. God comes to live in us. At that moment, God comes into us. And the Spirit of God will prevail. You will, if you have come to faith in Christ, you will ultimately be conformed to the image of Christ. We call that glorification, and generally it happens after we die, right? We are glorified. But the Spirit of God will not fight you for control in your life. If you want control, you get it. We have to yield ourselves to the Holy Spirit. And that's an ongoing process. I've shared one prayer several times. Uh, It's the prayer I learned from John Stott. You know, good morning, Heavenly Father. Good morning, Lord Jesus. Good morning, Spirit of God. There's some praise to each one of them about that. And Heavenly Father, I pray that today I live in your presence and bring you joy. Lord Jesus, I pray that today I would follow your example, pick up my cross, die to myself. Spirit of God, I pray that your fruit would ripen in my life. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what I want. Holy, precious, triune God, one God and three persons, have mercy on my soul. That prayer, which is on the website, so again, every week, the manuscript for the sermon 
that I preach, plus more that I don't have time to preach. All of that is always available, written out, word for word, online. And that prayer, because I usually get, you know, a half dozen people pinging me, can you send me that prayer? Prayer's online. Just go to today's sermon, prayer's online. There's another prayer to the Holy Spirit that I haven't emphasized as much, but it's just an ongoing, you know, several times a day, more times per day than we would like, and then I'd like to admit where I'm saying, Lord, that was sin. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have thought that. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have whatever. Please forgive me. Thank you that you have. Spirit of God, empower me, renew me, fill me, indwell me, guide me. I want to yield my life to you again. Please use me. Because the Holy Spirit is the agent of transformation in our life. It's the Spirit of God that will change our heart. Secondly, second thing that God uses is this book. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, The Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joint and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. When we read the Bible... There are days when we get the impression that it's reading us, right? That it understands us. It's guiding and directing us. And so we, we are, Jesus prays in John 17 that, uh, Father, sanctify them. That's the word that gives us sanctification. Grow them, right? Transform them by your word. Your word is truth, John 17. So the second thing that God uses is um, the Bible. The third thing that God uses is other people. Uh, as I've said over and over, we need other people in our lives. Christianity is not a solo sport. And, and what other people do, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen uh, tells us that just as, one, just as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. What other people do is they, they help make us better. They, they're like sandpaper. They round off the rough edges. And in uh, book four, which uh, is not out yet, it'll be out next weekend, but in book four I write a bunch about friends. And one of the things that I appeal to is that, uh, especially if you're married, that you have good friends who who can be sandpaper so that the only sandpaper you're up against isn't your spouse. I shared this story uh, a few years into our marriage, Sherry came to me and she said, you need better friends because you're not treating me well, but nobody is telling you that. And so it, it falls to me to tell you that. And I don't want to tell you that because that's like nagging and that doesn't work. You need other people who will tell you that you need to treat me better. Okay? Other people shape us. And then... Uh, finally, the fourth thing that uh, shapes us, besides the Holy Spirit, besides the Bible, uh, besides other people, the fourth thing that shapes us are trials, struggles, hardships, losses, setbacks. We can be transformed by our troubles. Now, please hear this. It's not a given that that will happen. Right? Some people... We'll go through the same struggle over and over and over and never learn, never be broken, conformed, molded, right? 
will remain obstinate. So trials can be used by God. Uh, Problems can serve a purpose. We can be transformed by our troubles. God can use bad things. And let's let's be clear. We're talking about bad things. Romans 8, 28 says, All things work together for the good of those who love God. It doesn't say all things are good. Right? It says, God can use all things for good. Some things are bad. Right? Uh, now, God could, should he choose, God could have kept me from having a stroke. God could have kept Joseph out of uh, prison. God could have kept Daniel out of the lion's dead. God could have kept Paul from being shipwrecked. God could have kept me from having a stroke. I believe that. I believe he has to sort of at least sign off on that. And again, there's more about that in the notes today, the different aspects of God's will. God doesn't do anything bad. But he allows bad things to happen because he knows that he can use those bad things in ways that are ultimately for our good. And he does so in the most profound way, when the worst, the, the greatest travesty in the history of the world is the, is the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and he uses it for the greatest purposes. Right? <clears throat> God can use bad things in good ways. And so I want to encourage you and challenge you um, to be transformed by your troubles. Um, you know, I want to I encourage you to be more reflective about them, more prayerful about them. Maybe you've got a journal about them. Uh, I want to I encourage you to f- try and figure out how you come out of the struggles that you're in to being more like Christ. Right? How can you be more loving, more peaceful, more joyful, more patient, more self-controlled? How, what do you learn in that? And That is an opportunity that we have been given. Let God redeem your pain. Let God redeem your pain. We're we're moving through this process. After a major loss comes shock, sorrow, struggle. You don't have to move past that. You can remain stuck, struggling the rest of your life. There is an opportunity to move to surrender and sanctification, right? To, to begin to have a softer heart and to begin to made, be made better by this tragic loss, this suffering that you've undergone. And then next week we're going to look at service, how in sometimes the, the very way that you have struggled is going to be the way that you're going to find your greatest reward serving. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I know that there are many here uh, today who are struggling or stuck, who are broken, frustrated, and I want to pray, Lord God, that uh, you, would, you would look down with favor upon them. Help them to know how to lean into this and to grow through this. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, as the communion elements are being brought forward, I just want to uh, remind you, again, that God can make the worst things, he can, he can redeem them. He can turn them. And he did that uh, with the death of Jesus Christ.
which we recognize now as the hinge point of history, the greatest thing that ever happened. And so uh, out of obedience uh, to what we have been instructed to do, we come again to this table. It is an open communion table. If Christ is your Savior and Lord, whether you're a member of this local congregation or not, uh, we would invite you to participate. All we ask again is that you, uh, you do so um, soberly, that you uh, are prayerful, that you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Um, as, as I'm going to pray for us, and uh, then we're going to distribute the elements. And just use that time to allow God uh, to speak to you about sin to confess, ways to move forward, relationships to reconcile. Um, we'll distribute both the bread and the cup. Please take both and hold on to them. I'll come back up to lead us in this. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great gift that you gave us, sending your Son, our Savior. Um, We are amazed. And I I pray, Father, that uh, you would continue the work that, that you have begun in calling us to yourself, that we would be transformed into the image uh, of Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I we praise you. We thank you. you. You accepted an assignment that calls for you to suffer and die in our place. And we can't begin to grasp that, but we, uh, we want to give honor to you, and we thank you and praise you. And so now, Spirit of God, uh, meet with us, change us, shine light into the dark corners of our hearts, soften our heart that we could see ourselves uh, better. We could understand your prompting. We want to yield ourselves to you, and we do that even now as we, um, as we ask you to guide us as we prepare to come to this table. In Christ's name, amen.